0: Good morning. Hey, welcome to church. If you're online, if you're live, welcome. Will you stand with me? We're going to start off this service. Okay, so churches have what's called a CCLI license, and that gives us the rights to sing the songs and to show the words on the screen, and most of our songs are between 500 500,000 and a million, that's the CCLI number, because that's how many songs there are. We're going to start off with an oldie but a goodie. This song is number 1259. Like, we're talking a long, long, long time ago, but I think you're going to recognize it, and i help you join along with us. Pray with me real fast. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified in everything that happens today, everything that is sung, everything that is said. May it all point to your Son, and may your Spirit speak to us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.
1: We made the name. our favorite card. The Yeah. you.
0: given
2: come to a time of prayer. I want you to just take a moment here to just think of him and what he's done for you in your life. know the the many prayer requests that we could have we could flood your gates with them with everything that we were going through lord we we could flood your gates with how many requests we have with how much worry and concerns we have in our minds my lord if we can for a moment just lift you up jesus Jesus, 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 Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords and we proclaim it here this morning. You're the first and the last. You are the righteous King. We give you praise this morning. We worship you this morning. We give our attention, our honor, and our glory to you this morning. Lord, we love you. And we proclaim it and we profess it. You've came, you've conquered. Lord, you died and three days later you rose again. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. For all you're doing for us in our lives. Speak into our hearts. Be with us this morning, Lord. As we lift you up, can you pour your spirit upon us? As we praise you and worship you, Lord, will you pour your spirit upon us? This morning, here, anoint this service that we have. Father, bless us with your presence. We thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. We thank you for providing for one for every single one of us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that even in death there is victory. Lord, we thank you that in sickness there is victory. That in heartache there is victory. Because, Lord, the life that we live here is just a small portion of what we get to spend with you in eternity. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a perfect video to go into the next part of our service, which is passing the peace. Uh, Man, we need to practice passing the peace to one another, not just like a, I mean, you know, hey, how you doing? And, you know, however we do it here this morning, but throughout our lives and our week, just being that peace for somebody else in their life. And so that's why we practice this uh, here on a regular basis. And it's where we we don't want only a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also want peace between one another, and uh, and so and not only just the ones here in this building, but also the ones outside, the people that you work with, the people that cut you off on the road, the people that you may cut off on the road. And so, uh, and so that's why we practice this this morning. And uh, you know, I I'm, I feel like I'm a little more quiet this morning. I know you know what Garen's going to be preaching on, and just it's something that we definitely need to take to heart. And so. There's a stillness that I have that I'm feeling and so but we practice this peace and it's not the peace that we just say hey peace even though sometimes I tell you guys hey peace you know sometimes I gave it to Drew on the way up to the stage and uh, but this peace that we practice is the peace of the Lord and in the Bible it describes it as a peace that passes all understanding if there is something that you're going through right now that is causing you worry anxiety and stress I promise you there is a peace that Jesus has that even in the midst of all that in the midst of the storm, he could give you that eye that's so calm. And, you're, and it, it almost, it says it passes all understanding. It's very simple. It's, there's, it's not rocket science. It means that you're just wondering, why am I so at peace? Like wh- Everything's going so crazy around me. and I just feel so fine. And that's the peace that he gives. And that's the peace that we pass here this morning. And so may I be the first to tell you, and truly with a sincere heart, may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you this morning. Pass that piece, please.
0: I was talking and peace passing and I forgot that I had equipment to get ready. Hey, how y'all doing? doing It is so good to see so many of you. My name is Garen, Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, and along with uh, a few of my cronies who um, are excited to be serving you, but I feel weird saying that because we are a serving church and we are all called to serve, But, but my name is Garen, in case you didn't know me, and it's good to have you here today. I have... Two announcements. Well, one announcement and one thank you that I want to talk about. The first one is on Wednesdays, we have a class. I was telling Jason this morning, this class is the one class I wish we had 30 to 40 people in for this. Um, I feel like this is the class that many of us need to have that spiritual breakthrough And the scary thing is, a lot of us don't even realize we need it. But a lot of us are carrying around issues that we've struggled with, some that we've repressed, some that we know about, some that didn't even happen to us, but we've seen it happen in the lives of others and it's affected us. And if we are to grow holistically in heart, soul, mind, and spirit, we need to address some of these things. And so this class is for you If you have those issues, if you think you might have those issues, or if you wonder if you ever will have those issues, this is the class for you. And I would encourage you, 7 o'clock on Wednesday, join us. It's going to be a great time as we dive deeper into what it means to be emotionally healthy spiritually. Um, The second thing I want to do is I want to say a huge thank you to some crazy guys. Yesterday we had our work day And the guys were around. I don't know if you saw the big pile of brush when you walked in, uh, when you came into the church parking lot, but they were out with one of those 11-foot poles and the saw, and they were doing some beautification around the grounds, and um, I just want to say thank you to the guys that were here, um, to the people that were here, because I'm assuming Linda was here, Um, but... Y'all, it really takes a village. And I would encourage you to find a place to plug in. And it doesn't have to be, oh, I guess I have to do this because I'm supposed to do something. These are all guys that enjoy being outdoors and enjoy working with their hands and fixing things and cleaning things. And that is not my gift, but I'm thankful that it is their gift and they're using it for the glory of God. And so, I encourage you to find your gift and to come see me if you're not even sure how to implement it, and we'll talk about ways that you can use the gift that's already within you, the passion that you already have, the desire that's bubbling up within you, and you need to use it. So, but I wanted to say thank you to the guys that were dealing with the machine, uh, the Chainsaws or whatever it was and doing things that um, would have me losing digits, but they bravely uh, took care of some of the trees and the shrubs So thank you guys. I think that's it. Uh, Justin. I think you're up next. So I'm gonna step down and stop talking Yes I think.
2: We're gonna come to that of Hello. Am I there? There we go. Ah, it's low I like being a little louder. Hey, there we go. All right. Guys, we're going to come to the time of the service where we get to continue in our worship. And, uh, and I always say that we get to continue in our worship. And the reasoning why is because we always tend to think like, oh, we had some worship this morning. We always think it's in song. And it, although worship is in song, it's also in our, in, in our fellowship with one another. It's in our prayer, it's in our lives that we live, and it's also in our giving. And so, that's why I always try to remind you guys, we get to come to a time of the service where we get to continue in worship. And so, it's awesome. And just like a lot of you guys like singing, hooting and hollering and listening to music, you know, God wants us to do this cheerfully as well too. A lot of times in this part of the service when we come to worship, people are like, oh, it's this part of the service. Okay, the music, I was, you know, I'm going, I'm jamming, and then it's like, oh, wait, hold on, you gotta, and so, God wants us to do this cheerfully. You know, this is an opportunity that we have to give back to Him. And He's given so much to us. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you this story real quick. There was a moment in our life that Jilly and I, uh, we needed a car. It was our first car that we were buying ourselves. And so I had borrowed some money from a friend to buy my first car. And I had to pay this friend back. And I was a little late on paying this friend back. And they were like, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, I need the money by Monday. And so that week in church we were talking about prayer and how how we need to pray with a bullet point. Like we need to pray on point. Like sometimes we kind of just pray like open, like we just kind of pray like, oh, Lord, bless my family, you know, but we need to pray more specifically. And so that week I prayed for only one thing, and it was, Lord, I need the money by Monday. And there was no way I was going to have the money by Monday if you looked at my paycheck and stuff like that. There's just no way I was going to have it. But that's the only thing I prayed for. And Sunday's there, and I said, Lord, Monday's coming tomorrow. I need this money. I've been asking you for it. You know, I've been praying for it. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And we, I'm sitting in the bed. It's late at night, Sunday night, and I'm sitting there thinking all discouraged by myself. I'm like, man, I don't have this money. I don't have this money. And I never go and grab the mail. But I decided to go and grab the mail this night. And I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm opening up the mail. Now, on the way to, on the way home that night, we went grocery shopping. And again, we didn't have much money. And Jilly wanted some ice cream. And we couldn't, We, I, I, hey, we didn't have any money. But I was like, you know what? Let's just get this ice cream because i ain't going to have the money anyways. I kind of was losing faith. And so we bought the ice cream anyways. That's going to come in handy in just a moment. And so I'm there opening up a letter and I open up a letter and it's a check. It's a check because we refinanced one of my buddies refinanced a vehicle that I helped him co-sign on. And then the company gave us a check and my buddy wanted me to have the check. I promise you guys, I start flipping out. I give Julie the check. I go to my bank account. I start to do the math. If I didn't buy that ice cream, it wouldn't have been down to the dollar that I had the exact amount of money that I needed. If I I would have been a little over, but I looked at Julie and I said, "Look, this check plus what we have in the bank account, it's exactly the amount of money that we needed." And we and Julie was even starting to cry. I was starting to cry a little bit, and just God is just so faithful. And he will do that in our lives. He will continue to provide for us as long as we trust in him and have faith in him. And so that is why we take advantage of this opportunity where we get to give back to God after he's given so much to us. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we get to provide for a God that continuously provides for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless this moment. I pray that we would do it with cheerful hearts. Lord, that you would be honored And what we're able to do for you in return for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you put a blessing on this gift. Lord, that you multiply it. And Lord, that you bring it beyond walls that we could even think or imagine. We love you and we ask you to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, we are uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I say in the middle. We are not in the middle yet, but we're getting there. So, yay. Um, How many of you like games? Yeah? Board games, sports games, I don't know, playing cards, things like that. Yeah, so I love games. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm really not a competitive person normally, but you put a game in front of me, and I'm like, "Let's go!" And so, uh, one of the games that I really love is has, Have you played Settlers of Catan? Okay, yeah, you have, Peter. All right, so it's fun, isn't it? It's a, it's you start off, and and everyone's a little bit friendly because you're trying to accumulate these. Um, these supplies, whether it's mineral or rock or wheat or whatever, because you're trying to build these settlements. And so at the beginning, everyone is swapping with everyone else because you kind of got to get the ball rolling. So everyone is helping everyone. And then there comes a point in the game where you realize that one of the other people around the table is starting to move ahead. And you start to get a little stingy with your trading because you're like, if I'm not careful, that, that booger is going to win. And so... You start to hold back on your generosity and then before too long you, re- you realize that there's one person that is way out in the lead and then it's less about you winning and it's more about everyone ganging up to make sure that he doesn't win or she doesn't win. Okay, y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You, have you been there? You know what it's like. It's like, okay, well if I'm not going to win, at least they're not going to win. So I, I, I don't know. Jen does not like games. We did not know this about each other before we got married. It probably wouldn't have changed things, but it probably would have helped us with our premarital counseling. But she doesn't like games. She hates them. Any kind of game, she hates it. She doesn't like it. And i got to be honest with you, she is a very sore winner and a very sore loser. She just, games bring out, and she will tell you, games do not bring out the brightest colors in Jen Finch Showalter. She just, she doesn't like him at all. So what do you do when you got this person that loves games and you got this person that doesn't love games? Well, we, we came to this place early in our marriage where we kind of said, okay, what if we were to look at things differently? And it was about a year and a half into our marriage where our friends introduced us to a game called hoopla. Have you heard of hoopla? No one's heard of hoopla. You have heard of hoopla. So this is a game where it's not me against you. You're not my enemy. It's all of us against the clock. The clock is the enemy. We're all neighbors. We're all friends. We're all on the same team. So it's all of us against that dumb clock. Y'all, that changed everything for us. Jen was like, oh, I can play this because then if I'm a sore winner, you're winning with me. If I'm a sore loser, you lost with me. And I'm like, yeah, and we're playing games. This is awesome. And so hoopla became our game for quite a long while. But we had to come to this place where we refused to believe that somebody had to win. And in order for somebody to win, somebody had to lose. We had to get past this dichotomy of I want to win, and for me to win, you've got to lose. We had to come to a place where we said, there's a common enemy, and you're not my enemy. That's the joy of hoopla. So in our scripture today, we're in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turned there. I just want you to hear the message today. I didn't make any Images for you because you can follow along, but I want you to just hear the words. I want you to, I want you to have permission to close your eyes and picture the scene if you want. While we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, you can picture the mountainside. You can picture the people gathered around. By now there are hundreds of people. You've got Jesus. You've got the waterway. You've got this sort of homemade amphitheater. And Jesus is speaking, and he's been talking about these blessings for all the people that you wouldn't expect it. He's been talking about all these things that he says we already are. We're already salt. We're already light, so we need to be living like it. He, he's been talking about how he's not coming to get, do away with all of the old law. He's come to actually fulfill it and make it more beautiful and, and fuller. And then he launches into these six statements, these six anti-theses of Jesus. These six statements that everyone would have known, and Jesus says, Yeah, you've heard this, but you've been missing the whole point. It's really about this. So he talked about it's really not about did I kill anyone? It's about do I have anger in my heart. It's really not about do I have have I committed adultery? It's about Is there lust in my life? It's really not about, am I divorcing my wife? It's about, am I dehumanizing people? And and Jesus goes on and on. And then we get to this sixth statement. And this is what Jesus says. Matthew 5, starting with verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even... corrupt corrupt tax collectors do that much? I always love that sentence because this book was written by Matthew the former tax collector and he's like, wow, okay that really is the bare minimum what good is that even corrupt tax collectors do that much? If you are kind only to your friends how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that that you are to be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. God, I pray that you'll take these words and that you will transform them into a clearer picture of what you had for the people of the day and what you have for us today. I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations in my heart that you've been giving me all week will ring true, that your spirit will hit its mark in our heart, and that maybe, just maybe, we can leave this place thinking a little bit more about how to be like you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to do what we did, we've did. we done in the past. It says, you've heard it said. So if we've heard it said, where did we hear it say? In my Bible at the bottom has these little notes. And it says, well, you need to go to Leviticus. Where is it? Leviticus 19, verse 18. So I happen to have it bookmarked. I did my homework early. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Okay, so this is what Jesus is talking about. The people of the day would have heard this, and they would have had this memorized most likely. So what does it say? Verse uh Chapter 19, verse 18. I notice, first off, even before I start reading, I love how the Bible has these little headings. So you kind of know what's the whole point of this passage. And the first thing I notice is that the, the heading in this chapter is holiness in personal conduct. So... Whatever the law, the Torah is going to be talking about, it's going to be talking about how we, are to, how we can become more holy in our personal conduct. Well, that's something that I want. So let's see. Jesus is referring to it, so let's talk about it. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, wait a minute. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, I am the Lord. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not really what it said in Leviticus, is it? It's like they added this other part where they got the love your neighbor and then somehow over the hundreds of years, a phrase had been added, and hate your enemies. Love those that love you, hate those that hate you. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this, but that's not really what I said, and it's definitely not what I meant. Now, for us to understand that, we need to understand that the mindset of that day, from what I've read, is that they would have seen your neighbor as anyone who is Jewish like they are. That is their neighbor. Or anyone who is a friend of theirs, that is their neighbor. Anyone who was like them or anyone who cared for them, that's my neighbor. And when they had that mindset, it was very easy to say, well, that means, ergo, anyone that's not like me, anyone who's not for me, is therefore not my neighbor so I don't have to love them. And if I'm not going to love them, what's the opposite of love? Well, that means I have permission to hate them. And what they did was they took this beautiful law of love your neighbor and they narrowed the scope to such a narrow interpretation that it was easy for them to say, I'm obeying the law even if they weren't obeying the spirit of the law. Sounds familiar to the other passages we've been reading where Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say how they've narrowed the scope to such a degree that they've missed the whole point, and we see this happening again. Because for them, if I say, love my my neighbor, hate my enemy, it's very easy for me to say, you're a Gentile, I don't have to love you, you're not like me. You're a Roman. You're not my friend. I don't have to love you. I love the people that love me. I love the people that are like me. That's what the Scripture says. That's what they were doing. And the problem is, when we narrow the scope of loving your neighbor to that degree, we miss the whole point of holiness in our conduct. We miss the whole point of what Jesus was trying to say. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have a new understanding. You've you've missed the mark on what I was trying to say when I said love your neighbor. You've misunderstood who your neighbor is, and as a result, you've misunderstood what it means to love your neighbor. So I figure if we're going to understand what Jesus wants us to know when it talks about our neighbor, maybe we need to figure out What does Jesus mean by neighbor? There's a great passage in Luke, and I'm guessing that every single one of you know it. But I want you to hear it again. So, in Luke chapter 10, there is this religious leader that comes to Jesus and he asks these questions. He says, Okay, basically, Jesus, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? What's the minimum? I mean, if we're talking about like I've got to reach a certain threshold to have eternal life, tell me what it is and I'll hit that mark. And Jesus, just like Jesus, doesn't answer the question. What Jesus does instead was he turns the question back on him and he says, well, you tell me. What does the law of Moses say? And then he asks another interesting question. He says, how do you interpret it? Not just what does the law say, but how do you interpret it? And so the man goes back to Leviticus and he says, well, I'm supposed to love God. And I suppose I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And it's really kind of impressive because this religious leader actually got to the heart of the answer. He actually answers the way Jesus will answer that very question somewhere else in Scripture. And so kudos for him. But then he asked this follow-up question. So tell me, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And that's where things go off the rails. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, I'm just going to read it. It's a couple of verses. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him for half dead beside the road. Can you picture it? By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, some of your Bibles will say a Levite, a a temple assistant walked uh, uh, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. I don't know that Jesus actually said it like that. I'm imagining that's how they heard it because when a Jewish person heard the word Samaritan... It was like, I hate those Samaritans. I'm guessing Jesus probably didn't say it like that, so let me correct it. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey... And he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. I'm good for it. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. In this situation, the man replies, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus replied, Yes. Now go and do the same. Who's my neighbor? The neighbor is the one who does mercy. So, so there are three basic groups in this thing. And I'm, I'm going to lump them maybe differently than you've heard them. A lot of times we talk about there was a priest, there was a Levite, there was a Samaritan. But I'm going to lump them differently. There were robbers in this story. And the mindset of the robbers was simply this. What's yours is mine and I will do whatever it takes to get it. You have something I want it. I'll take it through violence, or I'll take it through coercion, but what's yours is going to be mine, and I don't care if it ends up leaving you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, I don't care how it leaves you on the side of the proverbial road. What's yours is mine, and I will take it. The second set is the priests and the Levites. And I'm lumping them together because they're both religious leaders. And their basic mindset was what's mine is mine. And I'll protect it. Even if it means you get hurt in the process. My God-given rights... These blessings that God has showered upon me are mine and I will defend them at all costs. And I will keep anyone at bay that tries to take them from me. And I will not share them with others. These are the priests. These are the Levites. These are the people that you would want on your pta board these are the people that would have uh, local jobs these are the people that would be paying their taxes and following the rules and doing all the right things and saying all the right things and yet when it comes down to it their mindset was what's mine is mine so you have the robbers who says what's yours is mine you have the priests and the levites who say what's mine is mine and then you have this samaritan This group of people that any Jewish person would have hated. Don't you hate it when the bad guy is the hero? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making the bad guy the hero of the story. That's not fair, Jesus. Chances are, well, we know the Levite was Jewish. We know the priest was Jewish. And chances are, because the road that they're talking about was going between a Jewish city and where the temple was, chances are the bandits were also Jewish. So the only person that's not Jewish in this story is the good guy? Not fair, Jesus. That's not cool. But he says it, so we're going to talk about it. So you've got these... Robbers. I mean, you've got, sorry, you've got this Samaritan, this outsider, this person that's reviled by everyone. And it's this Samaritan that says, What's mine is yours if you need it. I'm here to help. If you need protection, I've got it. If you need. My safety, my safety is yours if you need it. If you need healing, my healing is yours if you need it. If you need provision, my provision is yours if you need it. My resources, everything I have is yours if you need it. My health is directly tied to your health. I can't just walk by and see you hurting and do nothing. Your well-being and my well-being are joined together because we are neighbors. It's not about me winning and you losing. It's about we both win. There doesn't have to be a loser in the scenario. So where do you find yourself in those three groups? I have to be honest with you. And I don't like saying it because I feel guilty for being this way. I find myself most like the priest and the Levites. What's mine is mine. I just got to take care of it. I just got to take care of me and my family. I've got rights. You, You stick to your rights. I'll stick to my rights. I'm going to work on taking care of what's mine. You work on taking care of what's yours. And as long as they don't overlap, we'll both get along fine and we'll be neighbors. But if they cross, then all of a sudden we have to redefine who's my neighbor. And I don't want to have that discussion because here's something that I've been struggling with. Jesus didn't die for my rights. Jesus doesn't even care about my rights. Jesus cares about my holiness. Jesus cares about me being more like the Father more than He cares about me trying to defend what I think is mine because all of it, the rain falls on the good and the bad. Jesus said so. Jesus cares cares about my holiness more than he cares about me being right or me having my rights. And if it comes down between those two things, Jesus will always choose my holiness over my rights. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, that's what I've got to focus on too. And it's like we talked about a few weeks ago, there are times when holiness and rights overlap and they coincide beautifully and there are times when they don't and when they don't holiness takes precedence i need to be more like jesus and let god sort out all of the other situations you know martin luther king spoke on the passage of the good samaritan a ton of times he This may be one of the most priest-on passages by Martin Luther King. He spoke frequently about the Good Samaritan and this parable of Jesus. And here's what he had to say. He said one of the main differences between the Levites and the priests and the Samaritan was simply this. The Levites and the, Levites and the priests asked this question. If I stop and help this man... What will happen to me? The Samaritan asked, If I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Is loving your enemies easy? No. And i got to tell you, We've had two or three weeks that we've pushed back. This sermon was supposed to happen the middle of August. I did not plan on this happening on the weekend of 9-11. And if you're like me, a lot of yesterday was spent reflecting and remembering. And I was telling Henley, I remember for months, every time I saw a plane in the air, I would watch it, wondering, is that another terrorist attack? Did you do that? I don't know. Am I the only one? I remember, I remember being constantly concerned over anyone who didn't look like me. You remember the whole see something, say something, and so we pitted each other against each other simply because we looked different or acted different. And we took away the option of being a neighbor and we opted for enemies. I didn't plan for this sermon to happen on September the 12th. I'm not happy that it happened on the 12th, but I figure maybe this was God-ordained because I had no reason to push back services, and yet here we are. Folks, love and compassion is our compass. And when we get into the business of retaliation and revenge our compass is stuck and i come that to you i come to you saying that and confessing for many years all i wanted was revenge on those heathen people across the world i remember the sunday when we found out that they had gotten bin laden and you would have thought that the church's favorite team won the Super Bowl. And I can't tell you how ashamed I am that I was part of that. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Jesus always refused to live in the dichotomy of neighbor and enemy good person bad person because jesus understood that in the kingdom of god in the kingdom of heaven there are only neighbors there are only neighbors people are not our enemies how does that sit with you How does that hit you today? It has beaten me up all week. How how does that hit you when you think of the homeless person in Daytona, and we so quickly drive by and say, "You should just get a job." They're not the enemy. They're our neighbor. Or the immigrant at the border. I'm not going to get into whether they should be in or they should be out. I'm here to tell you they're not the enemy. They're our neighbor. We'll let the politicians and the laws decide who should be in and out. But as Christ followers, they are our neighbors. When you support someone politically and the other person supports the other person politically, they're not the enemy, they're our neighbor. I listened to President Bush yesterday, if you saw his Pennsylvania address, and I just felt like it was a watershed moment where he so beautifully reminded us of who we are as Americans. And without pointing fingers, he kind of held up this mirror and said, Look at where we are. Is this the America that we were? We can be this nation again. If you didn't see it, I encourage you to YouTube it or read the transcripts. I felt like I could have just read his transcript for the sermon, or at least part of it. Danny and I were talking yesterday. We're here on Saturdays. It's a work day for us. And we were talking about 9-11. We were talking about the fact that the, the Muslims are not our enemy. Islam is not our enemy. People are not our enemy. Evil is our enemy. And until we understand that the person is not the one I am fighting against, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of the darkness, evil is the enemy. On that, just like hoopla, we can all agree and rally, and if we will focus our energy on trying to defeat evil and seeing everyone else as our neighbor, how would that change our lives? Danny said he follows a five second rule. And we were talking about I told you I was gonna say it. You know, you know, you've got the five second rule if something drops on the floor, some food's like five seconds, it's still okay to eat. And I don't know if you do that or not. I usually don't. But there's a five second rule that everyone knows about. Danny was saying he looks at things in the same way. He deals with people that are struggling with hurts and habits and hangovers, and he told me, I tell them, when something pops in your mind, you've got five seconds to change the narrative. Otherwise, you will spiral down a rabbit hole. You've got five seconds when that thought of pornography enters into your head that you can change the narrative or you will fall down the slippery slope. You've got five seconds when that Desire for that drink comes up, and you don't have a lot of time, but you do have time to change the story. What would happen if we could, when we see that person that we don't agree with, when we see that person that scares us, when we're worried about something, if we would take that five seconds and say, they're not the enemy, evil's the enemy, they're my neighbor. How would that change how we live? It doesn't mean that everything is lollipops and roses and rainbows and we all just walk around with our cars unlocked and our wallets open. I'm not saying that we live in this crazy fantasy, but I'm saying what would happen if our first response wasn't always, what's mine is mine and I will protect it against you, you're not my neighbor. How could our lives be changed? How could this holiness in our conduct of living grow if we would see what Jesus is trying to say? I don't know. The goal is for everyone to win. The goal is for everyone to win. Which means... It is our job to be inviting people to Jesus. It's our job to be inviting people over to the house for a cup of coffee because it's hard to do a cold call with Jesus. This isn't like going door to door and selling encyclopedias and eventually I'll hit one. No, discipleship means we grow together and we become friends and I get to know you and you get to know me and all of a sudden you start to notice the Jesus in me that you don't have. And questions arise. And things happen naturally because they happen from a place of neighbor, not from a place of enemy. I'm in the kingdom. You're not. You better get right or you're the enemy. That's not the way Jesus did it. I don't know how we got that far off course. But that's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way Paul would say it. Paul said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They're not the enemy. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they're our neighbor. Anyone who doesn't call on the name of the Lord, that's not our job to judge. They're still our neighbor. Peter would say that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Jesus said it himself when he was talking to Nicodemus. Whosoever believes. He didn't say... All you Jewish people believe and will be fine. He said, Whosoever, which meant everybody. We've got to live in the reality that we are neighbors. That only happens if we are united in Christ. The dichotomy of neighbor enemy can't be broken on our own. It's got to happen through. Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. That is the only way it makes sense. But that is the only way it works in the kingdom. And if you're going to be kingdom citizens and I'm going to be kingdom citizens, that is the only way forward for us. This is how we fulfill the law and be like Jesus. This is how our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees when we live like Jesus. This is the way the world sees God colors and God tastes in our lives. It's because we have this holiness conduct for living, not a holiness that says I'm better than you. You're the enemy, but a holiness that says, I'm your neighbor, and I will do anything it takes that I can do to help you come into this kingdom. If I have it and you need it, it's yours. I sit there and I think of, out of the three, Jesus was the Samaritan 100% of the time. The reviled, the looked down upon, the outcast, the one that nobody liked. And yet, it was this Jesus that changed things forever for you and for me. Folks, let me just encourage you. This week, read this passage again. Maybe read the passage of the Good Samaritan. And ask God, what does that look like for me? Where I'm working. With that punk at work that I don't like? With my boss that's always demeaning me? What does it look like if I'm the boss and I find it easy to demean others? Am I living a life of holiness in my living? And if I'm not, a good place to start is by loving my neighbor. And Jesus defines my neighbor as anyone in front of me And anyone in need. That's our neighbor. Let's pray. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you have a way of messing things up. I had a much lighter service planned for today four months ago. But your timing is your timing. And I, you know... I'm just trying to follow you, Jesus. God, I I pray that you will forgive me for those times. Those times when I've acted like the robber and I've said, I'm going to take something that I shouldn't have just because I can. And I don't care if it hurts you. I pray that you'll forgive me for those times that I've been like the priest or the Levite that said, I'm going to protect what's mine and you can't have it. Jesus, I want to be like the Samaritan that said, if I have it and you need it, it's yours. You don't even have to ask for it. I'm going to offer it before you even ask. That's how I want to live. That's how you lived. I pray that not just for me, but I pray that for my friends here. I pray that for people watching online all over the city, all over the U.S. that tune in to us once a week. I pray that you will help us to live out these words from this sermon that even though it's 2,000 years old, it is relevant today. Make us more like you. You are holy. God, make us holy. I pray that you will help us to see that the opposite of neighbor isn't isn't what we're called to. You've called us to live in this upside-down kingdom that doesn't have an opposite side of the coin. We're all neighbors. And we fight against evil, but we don't fight against each other. That is so easy to say and so hard to do, Jesus. Jesus. It's impossible to do without your Spirit. So I guess what I'm asking is, pour your Spirit on us. That is the only way we will be made more holy. We pray this through that power, the Spirit that's alive and at work within us. We pray this in the name of the one who gave these words. Amen. What a uh,
2: what a very time-sensitive message. I appreciate you for delivering that, Pastor Garen. And uh, we all should be remembered. You know, not only love your neighbors, as as it says, but to go even further, and it even says, love your enemies. So. Not even that your enemy is not your enemy, but love them. And so we're going to come to a time of the service um, where we take communion. And it, 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 it kind of gets to me. Um, <clears throat> you know, we do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And to kind of give you just a little bit of a, as we were, I guess I think about it as like, about a, like a funeral kind of or something. Where I want to tell a little story about him. So just give me, give me one second. Let me tell you this real quick story here as we, as we dive into the remembrance of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, there's a son one day. He bought a you know, fast-looking car, it's kind of a little bit of a hoopty, and he couldn't get it to work. He couldn't get it to start. And his father said, you know, son, well, hey, look, we're going to get it fixed. You know, I'll call the mechanic over. So his father calls the mechanic over, and he takes a look at the car. And the mechanic sits there, and he looks at it, looks at it, looks at it. He checks this, checks that, checks the other thing. And he finally gets to the end of it, and he looks at the dad, and he says, uh, junk it. And the dad's like, ah. The son goes over to the dad and says, dad, we can't junk the car. The dad's like, well, why can't we junk the car? And he goes, I'm just telling you we can't junk the car. And the, and the dad's like, son, you better tell me right now why we can't junk the car. And the son says, Dad, I paid too much for it, and it means too much for me. And so the father said, okay, well, we'll do what we got to do to get it fixed. And when it comes to remembering who Jesus Christ is, I can imagine still to this day that the enemy looks at us and what we've done in our lives, and he looks over to the father, and he says, just junk it. Just junk it. And this is what we do here in this time. Jesus... Looks over to his father, lifts up his hands with scars, and says, Father, we can't junk them. I've paid too much for them, and they mean too much to me. And that is who we remember in this time. So if you will, this bread represents his body, which was broken for us, the scars that were given to him. Because how much we mean to him. Take it in remembrance of who he is. A lot of times we, we remember what he went through and, you know, we remember the time that his body was broken, but it's not that his body was broken. It's not that his body was, but that his body was broken, his blood was shed, but it's for what purpose? And it's for our lives and for our freedom and for our salvation. And so we do this on a good note. And so just like how you kind of do it, cheers for his blood that was shed for us, for our salvation. Take and drink and remember, Tim. Amen. Jesus, you are so good to us. The fact that you would put a worth on us, that you would come and die for us. When you were, you were perfect, there's nothing that you've ever done wrong in your life. And you came and lived a perfect life, and you died a sinner's death for us. But good news is, Lord, you came back three days later, and Lord, you have salvation for every single one of us, and so we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for being able to take part in remembering you and what you've done for us and what you're continuing to do for us in our lives. Bless this time that we have here, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Will you stand with me as we prepare to leave? It's been good to see you. I like seeing your faces online. I'm visualizing you all sitting in front of the tv drinking the coffee i wish i was with you but but i got coffee in the office so we good we good but it's been good to be with you today it's my prayer that this week god will continue to do what god does and that's make holy things that are willing to be holy so will you sing with me our benediction we sing hallelujah let your kingdom come in our hearts In our homes, let your will be done. As we go in your name, we shout and we proclaim. Let your will be done in us. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday or Wednesday for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Hope to see you there.